Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When Gabby Petito was reported missing in September 2021, the world went crazy. What began as a summer road trip for a young couple seemingly in love, now ending in heartbreak. 22-year-old Gabby Petito is missing. We love her very much. We miss her and we want her to come home. Seemingly overnight, she went from being just an ordinary 22-year-old girl to a household name. 22-year-old Gabby Petito is missing. Gabby Petito, on a cross-country trip with her boyfriend, disappeared last month. Gabrielle Petito was reported missing over the weekend. Her last location is believed to have been in Wyoming. There were some aspects of the case that made it especially captivating. She was an aspiring influencer, living her life online. So there were digital clues to follow. The Instagram photos and videos she posted of her cross-country excursion. Besides the -the round-the-clock news coverage, everyday citizens were trying to solve the case. It was people searching through her Spotify playlist uh, for clues. It was people just micro-analyzing every single YouTube video or how freshly done her blonde dye was. Blonde. That's the other thing. Gabby was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white woman. It was Gwen Eiffel who coined the term missing white woman syndrome, which is that whenever a conventionally attractive white woman who is considered low risk goes missing or is murdered, it is a tragedy. And it is. I'm not going to dismiss that. That's Rachel Hampton co-host of the ICYMI podcast. And she says when other people go missing or are murdered, it's just expected. Like in the case of Lauren Smith-Fields. The 23-year-old Black woman was found dead in her Connecticut apartment in December 2021 after a Bumble date. And the police didn't investigate it as a criminal case for about a month. And her parents and her family basically mobilized online, along with people who could be defined as citizens loose, kind of trying to parse the clues of her, like, Instagram page and her last text and things. Gabby Petito had multiple agencies looking for her, at the local and federal level. Some tips coming in might have been helpful, but the amateur sleuths and all of their conspiracies likely overwhelmed authorities and hurt the family. There was a theory at one point that I think that she was a serial killer, which is just so terrible if Gabby Petito's family is looking at any of this stuff. Their daughter has disappeared, later found to be murdered. And all these people are just looking at the dregs of her life and just making so many judgments based on it. It was unsettling. In the case of Lauren Smith-Fields, police weren't even taking it seriously as a homicide. People weren't posting on TikTok out of morbid curiosity. They were posting on TikTok because they needed a place to scream, a place to say her name, when no one else was trying to bring justice to her case. 
23-year-old Lauren Smith-Fields was found dead in her Bridgeport, Connecticut apartment. Remember Gabby Petito in this situation. She deserves the same amount of coverage, but it's the lack of coverage this case is getting that is enraging me. Justice for Lauren Smith. Say her name. The police didn't even notify the family. They found out through a note taped to her front door. The note asked them to call the landlord. You'd think the apartment would be treated as a potential crime scene, but the family had to beg them to collect evidence. While there was a nationwide manhunt to find Gabby's boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, police weren't rushing to interview her date, the last person to see her alive. Detectives told her family he was a quote-unquote, really nice guy. It wasn't until a march organized by family and friends in front of the Bridgeport mayor's office that any real progress happened on the case. It's about every girl that could potentially go through something like this. We don't ever want this to happen to anybody. I don't want nobody to feel this pain. A toxicology report would later rule Lauren's death an accidental overdose. But there's still a lot of questions surrounding her death and how it was handled. 14% of the U.S. population is Black, but Black men and women make up 40% of the missing persons cases in this country. When we hear the story of Gabby Petito, when we mobilize resources to find her, why aren't we also sharing flyers about Kishay Jacobs, Pamela Butler, or Relisha Rudd? And that's what this episode is about. How do law enforcement and the media approach these stories differently, and what does that disparity say about us? From Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Mariah Smith, and this is Spectacle True Crime. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I remember the first time that I, as a local reporter, interviewed a person who had lost their child, whose child had gone missing. That's Soledad O'Brien, the broadcast journalist and founder of Soledad O'Brien Productions. And I remember thinking, I mean, you sort of objectively know, wow, that's a terrible, terrible thing. But until you have a kid, you really don't realize, like, I don't even know how that person could get out of bed. Soledad says the answer isn't not covering stories like Gabby's. I don't know that I would say her story was overcovered because if Gabby had been my child, I would have thought it should be on TV 24 hours a day, seven days a week into perpetuity. I think the issue comes in when there are just other stories that the media doesn't seem to care about. And I don't think that's the fault of the families whose loved ones have gone missing. I think it's the fault of the media trying to make decisions about who they think is attractive 
who they think is compelling, whose story they think is interesting, and and therefore deciding that other people's stories are not interesting, that other women maybe aren't so attractive or don't really deserve as much media coverage. In fact, Gabby's own father tried to redirect coverage to other cases. I remember her father actually taking a moment out of his own grieving and stress to tell people like that the media, that they should be covering, that there are other people who are missing, that they were important too. And I remember thinking like, wow, what a remarkable person. Imagine in the depths of your most stressful, horrific time in your life to remember to do that is craziness. And so, you know, you know, that was a family that really was in the middle of understanding what it's like to lose somebody. As a journalist, Soledad wanted to cover these cases. But as we talked about in episode five, she felt there wasn't an appetite in the newsroom for the stories she wanted to tell. Stories about race, about poverty. Stories that weren't black and white. When I started the production company, it was in part because I didn't want to be sent to cover stories that I didn't want to do, I guess. Most of the things that we do as Soledad O'Brien Productions and my production company does, we really like to focus on character-centered stories. So we put people in the middle of our reporting and our stories. And then stories that we think often, uh, if we weren't there covering them, would probably fly under the radar. Just no one would cover them at all. One of those projects is a four-part docuseries on HBO called Black and Missing. And it looks at women of color who go missing, who are really not, don't seem to be the focus of media or law enforcement. The series follows Natalie and Derricka Wilson, the founders of the Black and Missing Foundation, an organization that literally started in their living rooms as volunteer work they did outside of their day jobs. They'd go to the phones calling the press, knock on doors, handing out flyers. Derricka is an ex-cop, and Natalie used her skills working in PR. And, you know, when we started, we said, if we can just bring one person home, we have done our jobs. But we have to keep going, and we are so motivated to ensure that our missing are household names, too. And we want to make sure that race is not a barrier to media coverage and law enforcement assistance. There was one case that really motivated them to help these families. And that was the case of Tamika Houston. Who went missing from Derricka's hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And we read how her aunt, who's in media relations, um, really struggled to get national coverage surrounding Tamika's disappearance. Tamika went missing in May 2004. She lived alone, so when her family and friends didn't hear from her for a few days, they didn't think much of it. She was really close to her aunt Rebecca. She was featured in the HBO series. I called Tamika in the middle of the week, I would say. Left her a message, was expecting to hear from her in a day or so. And I think at one point, you know, the battery dies and then you're going straight to voicemail and then it's real panic sets in. And that's when I reported her missing. When police went to her home, it looked like someone had just stepped out for a minute. There was a cell phone, uncashed checks, a driver's license. From the get-go, it looked like foul play. A few days after I reported her missing, a tip came in as a result of one of the posters that we put up. They located her car a week later. 
It was an exciting development, but also worrisome because any notions that she was off on a vacation were dashed. In the meantime, her Aunt Rebecca is a PR executive. She knows this needs to become a national story. So she's calling newspaper reporters, TV producers, editors, everyone you can think of. But she's getting radio silence. No one was interested in Tamika's story. But just a couple months later, those same outlets are fixated on a new disappearance. That of 27-year-old Lori Hacking. Lori. Her smile, her brown curly hair, it's in newspapers splashed across the TV. And it only takes three weeks to arrest her suspected murderer. So on August 2nd, 2004, Mark Hacking was arrested and charged with Lori's murder after confessing to his brothers that he did indeed kill her. Lori's body still has not been found. (laughs) Yep, that's Oprah. Then, less than a year later, came Natalie Holloway. The blonde-haired 18-year-old who went missing on a high school graduation trip to Aruba. It has been almost a week since Natalie Holloway vanished. Aruba is the scene of a massive search. Word has spread quickly on this quiet island. Today was another day of excruciating doubt. Not only were national and local news outlets following it, but people were seeing this on the news and buying plane tickets flying to Aruba to help with the search. Uh, it all came down to, you know, uh, mother pleading, please help. I mean, what, you know, who wouldn't come? The only difference between Tamika and Lori and Natalie was that Tamika was black and they were white. On August 5th, 2005, more than a year after her disappearance, Tamika's story was featured on Dateline. Besides highlighting her story, correspondent Josh Mankiewicz also held the network's feet to the fire, interviewing the president of NBC News. Why is there such a huge disparity in stories about white victims as opposed to all other kinds? Well, let me say, I don't like hearing that that's true. Race is not a factor in who we cover or how we cover it. And they interview Neil Shapiro, who was at the time the head of NBC, uh, who says very clearly, race is not a factor. When the data points would tell you, you know, that's bullshit, race is a factor, that actually, you know, you're much less likely to be on the air if you're black or if you're of color. You're much less likely to have your case solved if you're black or if you're of color. It's gonna take far longer for the law enforcement to close your case if you're black or if you're of color. The suspect in Tamika's murder, an ex-boyfriend named Chris Hampton, was arrested on August 12, 2005, a week after the Dateline episode aired. It was a glaring example of the power of the media. But since Derricka and Natalie have started their work, there's been a few glaring examples. In 2012, the parents of missing teenager Michelle Diamonde Green went on The View pleading for the public's help in locating their daughter. See this girl? Her name is Michelle Diamonde Green. If you have any information, maybe you saw somebody with her, take a good look, go into your memory. If you find that you have just the least bit of information, please contact the authorities. It will really be a wonderful thing to reunite this family. Thank you, Janelle and Derricka Wilson. We will be right back. 
Within 14 minutes of the episode airing, police received a tip locating her. She had been missing for six months. And back then, police didn't even consider her a missing person. They labeled her a runaway, even though she had never ran away before. This is Derricka. We want to get rid of the classification runaway. These are children, and they are missing. And if you were to look at a flyer today, and you held them up, one says missing and one says runaway, the messaging isn't created equal. People are less likely to share a flyer of a runaway. Runaway also implies decision-making, that the person decided to leave. But this is a child. And historically, we know how often Black children are adultified treated as adults or suspects when they are the victims themselves. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, the child was, you know, having a sexual relationship with someone. No, they were being raped because a child could not consent to sex. And they definitely cannot consent to being trafficked. So, you know, it's something that we need to take a look at and remember that these are children and we need to protect them at all costs. On top of that, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to missing persons cases. You know, every jurisdiction handles things the way they want to handle them. For example, some jurisdictions, you can report your loved ones, and I'm speaking in terms of adults, you can report them missing immediately. While in some states and jurisdictions, you must wait 24 to 48 hours. And we all know that those are the most critical moments. There's institutional challenges and systemic racism. For people of color, it has been an issue for many, many years that predates all of us. And there are systemic issues as to why people are going missing at an alarming rate. We talked to Derricka and Natalie about the cases that were front of mind when Gabby went missing. And there was one in particular that really stood out. Stick around. That's next. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Like Soledad O'Brien said, the attention on Gabby Petito's case was understandable. Of course, if you were close to her, you'd want to mobilize every resource to find answers. But the problem is the disparity. Stories like Gabby's get disproportionate coverage. I mean, look at the case of Natalie Holloway. If you Google her name today, there's still ongoing coverage of her case. There's podcasts, YouTube videos, documentaries, and it's been 17 years. In this episode, we're talking about the role of the media. And we're the media, too. So we thought, let's take a beat to talk about a certain case that needs your attention. I thought I'd bring my producer, Joanna Clay, in to talk about it. 
When Gabby Petito went missing, a side effect of that was more missing persons cases getting attention. And one of those was Daniel Robinson. And it's important to state that Daniel is still missing. So we thought we'd go through the specifics of his case in an effort to get answers for his family. Yes, this is a case that Natalie and Derica have been trying to spread the word about. And actually, after we talked to them, I realized I recognized Daniel because I had been given a flyer at CrimeCon. I guess his father was there distributing them, which is just wild to realize. I mean, I understand that because Daniel's father and his family and the community that they've mobilized, they're doing everything they can to get word out about Daniel's whereabouts in hopes of finding him since he's been missing now over a year. Totally. So as you said, let's go through the details, go through what we know about Daniel's case, and hopefully any if there's someone listening who has information, we can help. So Daniel Robinson is 24 years old, and he's been missing since June 23rd, 2021. So he's been missing for a year, as you said. And he went missing in Buckeye, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix. And he was last seen driving west of his work site. He was a field geologist working at a well site, and at the time it was a new job. Yeah, and so his family said he was normally a pretty responsive person. And after he was last seen leaving this job site, you know, he went totally quiet. There were no text messages, no calls. So his sister goes to his apartment in Arizona, and there's no sign of him. His family also did say that the days prior to his disappearance, Daniel was not acting like himself. But they never thought he would hurt himself or leave without telling anyone because he had also made plans to see his family in the coming weeks. Right. So his dad, David, reports him missing with Buckeye PD. But it's important to note that actually when he first contacts Buckeye PD and wants to report him missing, that he's told to wait 12 hours to file the report. And that is stressful and horrible just outright. But Daniel's father, David, also lives in South Carolina. So at that point, as many parents I know would do, he jumps in his car and drives to Arizona to A, file the report in person, and B, find his son because he knows literally every single minute is important. Right. And you know, every minute feels like increasingly crucial in Buckeye because Buckeye is kind of extreme environment. If you look up the average temperature in June, it's 105 degrees. So if you're out there by yourself, it's dangerous. And Daniel's father, David, does make it to Buckeye. And he goes to the well where Daniel was working the last day he was seen alive. And there he had an interaction with one of Daniel's colleagues who said Daniel waved at him before leaving the well. So we still don't know what happened to Daniel on the website that his father set up for him. He has said that he believes Daniel went missing under suspicious circumstances. And he says that forensics weren't taken at the scene. And like you mentioned, there were things found at the scene. So his blue 2017 Jeep Renegade was found about a month after Daniel went missing, just a few miles from the work site in this sort of remote area. And the Jeep was rolled over on its side. The airbags had deployed. The sunroof looked kicked open like someone tried to climb out of it. And his personal belongings were in there, a laptop, keys, cell phone. There was a lot of bottled water. 
and the clothes that he had been wearing that day were actually found outside of the car and his wallet was still in the pocket of his pants. And that car was found at the bottom of a ravine and a private investigator thinks that the damage to the car happened before it ended up in the ravine. So someone possibly crashed it and then kept driving it. And the private investigator says the car indicates it was operated after the airbags went off, saying it appeared to have been driven around 11 miles, I think, and the car ignition had been turned over 46 times. And they don't think the impact of this crash would have killed someone. But you have to imagine if he escaped, he left with no clothes or shoes, possibly, unless he had, you know, a change of clothes in there, maybe disoriented. So for anyone who has possibly seen Daniel, just like a physical description of him, he's black, five foot eight with short black hair, brown eyes. He was born without part of his right arm and his right hand. And Daniel's dad, David, has been leading searches in the desert for his son with volunteers, and he's really filling the gaps for law enforcement. You know, Daniel is a veteran, and it's really heartbreaking to think that he risked his life to serve our country, and our country is now failing him, you know, and not protecting him. And I think it's something that really upsets Derricka. Gabby had every resource possible. They threw in the entire state of Florida looking for her. Local law enforcement, federal law enforcement, drones, cadaver dogs, four-wheelers. And you have Mr. Robinson out here in the desert looking for his son in a remote area, and he can't even get them to pull out the drones. He can't even get FBI involved in his son's case. He can't get the cadaver dogs Everything that has been done has been done solely based on his efforts. So if anyone has information on Daniel's case or wants to donate to support his dad's search, you can go to the website David set up for him. It's pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. Next time on Spectacle, we dig into our obsession with Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Hi, Olivia Benson, Special Victims Unit. And its protagonist, Olivia Benson. I'm gonna protect you, Vicky. In the world of SVU, victims are believed, cops work around the clock on the case, and if the perp isn't caught, well, Olivia will find justice another way. I promise you, he's never gonna touch you again. We're going to give him a taste of his own medicine. Next time on Spectacle, how SVU is a feminist fantasy for a certain group of women. And 23 seasons and counting, we can't stop watching. Spectacle True Crime is a production of Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's hosted by yours truly. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Liz Sanchez is our associate producer. Sound design by Hans Dale Shee. Original music by Asha Ivanovich. Additional cues from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Our fact checker is Stephen Crichton. Special thanks to Carla Green, Shara Morris, and Catherine St. Louis. 
I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.